0: We have the forgiveness of sins as an ordinary part of the life of the church while we are alive. And Christ gives in a few places in the scriptures indication that there is the possibility of forgiveness in a certain sense after we die.
1: Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show is about purgatory. It's another of the questions asked of us on the Facebook, where is that in the Bible? Where is purgatory in the Bible? You Catholics make this stuff up, they suggested. And so we're going to talk today to another fellow student of scripture, Father Paul Rouse, and try to answer this question of where is purgatory in the Bible. Welcome, Father Paul.
0: Thank you, Peter. Great to be with you again. Indeed.
1: The first thing to admit when we talk about purgatory is that a huge amount of the imagery and language that's out there is quite fanciful and a little bit over the top. So starting with Dante's Divine Comedy, in which he has images of bishops being dunked upside down in buckets of poo or whatever that was. (laughs) Is that right? (laughs) (laughs)
0: just the deserving ones Well, that's a fair few
1: wouldn't you say
0: i i can't make comment i'm sitting in the holding center peter
1: yeah (laughs) well i mean i'm sure dante certainly thought that a few of them deserved it he had certain ones being dunked and the the point was is that purgatory Mm. has this fanciful he used a kind of an artistic impression of purgatory to try and get across Mm. some of the um the truth of it but his main purpose was to tell a very gripping tale so that's another thing but his imagery is stuck with us in many respects and there's a good deal of the the private musings and the, and the the mystical visions of purgatory which are quite vivid and lurid in the in their detail but this isn't what we're talking about in terms of what the bible says about purgatory and the church's teaching on purgatory is limited to what we know absolutely from revelation and the logical conclusions of revelation mm. so beginning with what it is let's be clear about some, one thing for starters. We actually agree on the principle of purgatory with all of the Protestants I've ever met. Because if you ask someone, Are you perfect now? almost always they would say, No, if they're honest. And then you say, Will you be perfect in heaven? And they, if they're Christians, would say, Yes. And then I say, Well, if you were to die now, what happens in between? And they would say, Jesus Christ cleanses me and purifies me from all of my sin and my wrong and makes me perfect and presents me to God the Father. It's very clear in the scriptures. And I say, well, you've just described purgatory. You have just described this. The, literally, the word is in there. Purify is the same word as purgatory. It's, it's the, the Greek word for fire. You are purified. And that process or that that whatever that is, whatever, however it happens, is what we mean by purgatory. The fact that we are, we are not quite ready to meet God, uh, some of us, when we die. And Christ himself has promised us mercifully that even though we haven't yet been completely made perfect and spotless in this life, he still hasn't given up on us. He still gives us his grace and takes us to his father after purifying us and making us presentable to the Father. Now, the arguments we have is about whether that process is instantaneous and we have no experience of it, or whether it's in some way drawn out or it has some time to it or something like that. Did I miss anything there, Father?
0: (laughs) Well, uh, probably everything, at least as far as our our experience of it goes. But as far as what what the church can know – Uh, about something which her members who wrote the Bible, for example, have yet to go through, yes, you did quite well. Um, To be added to this, which which you've expounded quite well, is the, the possibility of forgiveness of sins after death. That in itself should be something that we keep clearly in mind. We have the forgiveness of sins as an ordinary part of the life of the church while we are alive and christ gives in a few places in the scriptures indication that there is the possibility of forgiveness in a certain sense after we die so the point about purgatory is to deal with those those sins which can be forgiven after we are dead but we can't rely on god's forgiveness can't ever presume god's forgiveness it's a gift and also to deal with all of the, the damage that we've done for sin over the course of our lives. That, that's the other half of forgiveness. There's forgiveness of guilt and forgiveness of damage done. So we, we need to always keep in mind the, the fact of our immortal soul, which has an existence after we die. So God still acts on the human person in a different way after our body and soul have been separated in death. Mm. Uh, if, if that's not kept in mind, then purgatory can't Factor into people's imaginations, and you get you know the Dantes and other people who want to you know draw devils with pitchforks having a go at us for a little while. The the main thing is about whether there is a role for God in the, a human life after we have died, yes. and we know that God God has that because of the resurrection. But the other half of this, the complement to it, is God's work on us to heal us and make us fit for the place of His eternal beatitude.
1: And one thing we we have seen in the Church's teaching is that they never insist on it being a time thing, like it's not doctrinally been stated that there's a certain time in purgatory or something like that. We don't know, we simply don't know because once we're out of this earthly existence, we don't understand exactly how time you know affects us or uh, whether um, this is uh, this is the case, you know whether you know some people say a hundred years in purgatory, it's simply impossible to make such a judgment right But what we do know is that Christ, we don't—we're not abandoned to some tortures of the devil or something. It is the period of time when, or what the the process by which Christ makes us ready for heaven. It's, it's this front doorstep of heaven. It, it, people in purgatory aren't going to hell. People in purgatory know they have heaven to look forward to, and they know that God has mercifully not given up on them, even though they weren't perfect when they died. They hadn't been transformed by the Holy Spirit sufficiently to go straight to heaven like saints have. But they, they, God has not given up on them, and Jesus is working on them now. The pain of purgatory is that that, that longing for their reunif- you know, reunification with the blessed the beatific vision. They want to be in heaven, mm. and they are sad that there are things to work on, obviously. And the pain of being purified by fire, literally pur, pur the Greek word for fire, is the purging away. Now, Saint Paul talks about this in, um, I think, in Corinthians when he talks about the. The purging of now, what is it? First Corinthians three, uh, where where the the bad stuff about our life is being burned away like dross, in a, and leaving precious metal.
0: Exactly. Paul's even stronger on that point. He says that it will be revealed by fire. So, yes. the, as as it were, the purging, at least in in one Corinthians three, is is about that preparation for the forgiveness, for the um, remission that Christ does to the soul. Indeed. So. Uh, the, it, perhaps there's a two-step thing in purgatory. If you want to take that on a close reading, But
1: doesn't. Christ Himself refer to throwing the the chaff on the fire, and and that the only thing left is the precious metals and gems. At some stage, where would that be, Peter? Oh, I'm now I'm actually stumped. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember the reference. <laughs> he talks about well, all your deeds being thrown on fire, and and the stuff that we did for ourselves when pride, or the, basically the wheat and the chaff, like the the. The empty stuff gets burnt up, and only that which is precious remains.
0: Well, that that could be wheat and chaff, but that that to me at least sounds like a parable of of final judgment, separating wheat from chaff, sheep from goats, right. um, Dominic, Dominicans from the rest of the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Just oh, just a little bit of parochialism. Never mind me. I'll just go, go sit in my Dominican corner with yeah, my swimmer. don't start
1: me on Dominican jokes. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Complete this sentence. How many Dominicans does it take to change a light bulb? Oh dear. Go ahead. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm hoping you remember the the punchline. Oh. Yeah.
1: No, I, I we could probably delete that yeah. bit. <laughs> it's oh, something. <laughs> something about um one and the rest of them to discuss um. Angels or pinheads or something like that, I don't know.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. Right,
1: back to it. I'm sorry.
0: Um, So Christ certainly speaks about forgiveness in the age to come when he refers to the sin against the Holy Spirit. So he says that someone who sins against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Now, it's an interesting distinction the Lord makes there between the places or times or ages when forgiveness of sins will happen. Forgiveness happens in this life while we have breath, while we we carry on with our lives, and forgiveness can happen after we die. Right. So, we we need to have a founded hope that those who have died in unusual circumstances, those who have um, a, a past which has not yet been atoned for through the ordinary sacramental means, have hope of heaven because they have been caught short. We often pray for a uh, pray against a sudden and unprovided death. Mm. But purgatory can help us to be reassured that uh, God intends our salvation, God intends our eternal life and works on our souls, even when we think that we're completely done for. Right. I
1: mean, the idea of purification by fire is not a new one. We see it in Malachi 3 as well, where God talks about purifying fire, like precious metals being purified. We also see it in the Psalms, going through fire and water in Psalm 66. So there's, there's a fair bit of um, referencing, St. Peter uses it in First Peter 1, um, 7, I think, uh, where he's referring to testing of gold, refining gold.
0: Yes, there's also the prophet who receives the burning hot coal on his lips. Isaiah, words Isaiah 6, pre- yes. Isaiah, exactly. So he, he is prepared for the delivery of the prophecy of the word by having his lips purged, which, you know, which had been put to bad purposes before that point. Indeed. The the purge, purging is preparatory. It's not just about, shall we say, penance, strictly speaking.
1: We talk about purges these days, Father. I mean, and now it's become a secular use of the word purge, usually in terms of right. diet or something like that. I'm purging and so they, they have a very pure diet, and it ends up flushing all toxins and things out of their body, and it brings them into a state of you know greater health. So in some senses, there, there's, a, there's still that sense there.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, to, get, to get rid of the things that, that really would keep us out of our proper state. Um, we do speak of purging, I'm afraid, when it comes to, say, redundancies or restructurings in, in employment. Um, that that too, perhaps in one view of it, is it, all about making the company do what it's
1: supposed to be doing. Indeed, you know, cool or Unfortunately, it's not so great for those people being burned. No,
0: um, no purgatory is not comfortable.
1: But. No, and this this is it. I mean, the whole the, the difference from my point of view, certainly from the Brethren slash Lutheran uh, point of view, different to Catholics, is forensic justification. So uh, oh, Catholics indeed. see see our our sanctification as something that happens as a process. When I Uh, receive Christ in baptism, when I receive Christ in terms of my intention to be um, in Christ's kingdom, I don't instantly become a great person. I don't instantly become a pure person. I still struggle with all the things I struggled with. And now the difference is I have God's grace in that struggle. And we believe that when we work with the Holy Spirit, when we cooperate with grace, that this grace uh, transforms us into into greater and greater uh, image of the Son of God. And unfortunately, some of us uh, will not have reached that perfection by the time we die. We won't have allowed the Holy Spirit to to totally transform us by that stage. But God has simply said, I'm not giving up on you. If you are within my grace, in the state of grace, I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to continue to work on you and bring you to my Father, as I always wanted to do. Mm. And the only way to avoid this is to not want it is to, 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 to deliberately speak against it.
0: Indeed. And and to return to your good point about forensic justification there, I mean, most Catholics wouldn't, uh, would look at you strangely and wonder if that was an ingredient in, in a shampoo or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it is so wrong because it, it merely says that all that God does is pronounce a word over us, like a sentence. Yes. Uh, you are now justified. You are now in relationship with me. But the the life of grace we know from our own experience has contours, it has moments of great growth which we can't attribute to ourselves and our own efforts. So these things come to us because God is working in our life. So the the working of grace in our life means that forensic justification, that mere pronouncement over us that we have uh, been made justified, Is is not an adequate account. We need more than that in order to account for everything that's going on for ourselves. So that that renewal also happens in purgatory.
1: Yes, but it can happen in purgatory. It doesn't need to. This is the thing. Exactly. So I mean, if if I mean, we know we know from the from St Paul in particular that the Christian life is one of constant working with God's grace in order to work out the salvation which has been uh, begun in us. And St. Paul actually talks about his suffering contributing to this, to work out his salvation, to, to I complete in myself what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. It's a very controversial verse, but it's definitely talking about him participating in the salvation of Christ. Right.
0: The, the, the other part of that then is the, the continuity between this life and the next. Uh, Paul talks in somewhat vague terms in a favorite passage of mine about walking now in newness of life. Well, it, it has that lovely sense of the resurrection about it, newness of life, but he's actually talking about the present day and age, post-baptism. Yeah. Uh, so, so whatever we're doing here has an effect in the life to come. And we'd be fooling ourselves if we think that there's that we can't change things for ourselves about our future destiny.
1: So I have a friend who was a Protestant and became a Catholic because he studied social work and he worked as a social worker. Now, that's not a story you hear every day. Indeed. But he he worked as a social worker and he said, I can't reconcile the idea that God instantly changes someone, and that's the only change that ever happens, Right. that there's no future change in their life, a changed life. He says, it doesn't work because I'm looking at people's lives and seeing grace work. It clearly has to be a process. God doesn't just take over our free will. God doesn't just dominate us and change us into a completely different person. Right. When we're infused with God's grace, when we respond to God's grace, it happens as a process in us. It yes. happens in time and space. Now, that means that we need to cooperate with it. As Augustine again said, um, the God who made us without us will not save us without us. Mm. In other words, he won't work against our will. He won't force you to heaven. But what he will do is give you his grace, and we, over time, cooperate with that grace. And it's a gradual, sometimes painful, long process of transforming ourselves uh, from a selfish being into one that loves God and loves neighbor uh, in the fullest possible way. Saints are not people who were perfect. They were people who allowed God's grace to work its way in their life to the point where they don't need any more purification when they die. Mm. And, and this, this is something we should all aspire to, that we allow God's Holy Spirit to work that grace in us so that we are like Christ, and so by the time we die, we immediately are with God in the beatific vision. Um, mercifully, even those of us who are flawed and 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 have held back that part of us that has not yet been, or perhaps we were, our life was cut short, God has said, I'm not giving up on you. That's what purgatory is about. It's a, Look, and when it's told in its proper sense, it's always a merciful and good news doctrine.
0: Right. It's distinctly hopeful, designed to reinforce our hope that no matter yeah. how terrible we have been, that we, could, we still could have our chance to wipe our feet on the, the doormat of heaven,
1: purgatory. Yeah, and I'm always a little bit suspicious about portrayals of purgatory that make it fearful or threatening mm. or watch out or you must do this or you're going to get get all this stuff. Now, of course, we want to allow God's grace to work in us as much as possible, but, but fear, whenever the scriptures are... Put to us in a fearful sort of horrific way, like like people who interpret the book of Revelations in this way, as if it's something to be scared of, to watch out for this sign or that sign of the end of the world. Well, how can it touch us? As Catholics, we only ever we've never talked about the end of the world. We've talked about the four last things. We've talked about the fact that whether the entire world ends tomorrow in a big explosion or whether i happen to have a, a soft heart attack in my bed the re- end result is the same i face god and i'm purified or judged you know there's a whole that's it it doesn't matter how it happens here in this life what matters is the 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 effect at the end
0: yes I, i've Getting back to an earlier point that you were making just then, the the imagination of the church or her artists and writers is hugely important here because we know so little concretely about purgatory. We know things about it, but we don't know it from our own experience just yet, though I can assure you we'll all get it. Um, at least, if, we, if that's what—if we're going to heaven, that is. Um, yes. So the imagination is massively important. So you get Dante, for example, who explores different ways of presenting purgatory. But another one of them, which doesn't hurt so much, is that he presents it like a school, in which someone right. who, who has um, lived with lust all their life finally learns how to kiss in a reverent way. Uh, right, Cardinal Newman, Saint John Henry Newman refers to purgatory or writes up purgatory as like a, a meeting Christ face to face, and that God, who is a consuming fire, Christ, who is a consuming fire, burns away the things that can't withstand His presence. Yes, uh, so so there are, there are ways in which we can imagine purgatory which don't
1: require the the. Uh, uh, doorstep of the hell nastiness approach
0: exactly exactly
1: yeah. it's not hell that's a very important thing to say it's not even right. a mini hell it right. the, the the longing that will be there will be a longing for the end a longing for beatification for the for the full beatific vision with christ and for the resurrection the longing we have is about the result that we know is coming it's a front doorstep to heaven and we are rejoicing that we're already on our way Right. Um, and it's a merciful thing this is the point uh, very much a merciful thing i'm glad about this doctrine i remember when i first understood it coming into the catholic church i'm so glad because i don't want to take half the rubbish i'm carrying now to heaven to live with forever there's, there's flaws that i could not stand i can't stand about myself now i need these things to be purified please god they're purified very soon by the holy spirit's action in my life please god i let him but I'm so grateful that even though if my feeble efforts are not enough, um, or if I deny God's grace in this life, he still... Going to take me on and and purify me for eternity.
0: Yes. To to add to that, then that there'd be also a whole host of hidden faults that we can't see with our own human eyes. You know, we we can't yes. quite grasp the damage that we have done to other people's lives, or things that we have forgotten, things that we we can't be sure of. You know, where there's been doubt and we've been wrong in our in our preference for ourselves. Yes. Uh, purgatory is the place where where true justice and true love, therefore, are found. Uh, we, yes. we we face up to everything in our past life, but that also means taking our proper place in the forecourt of heaven, place of justice and love.
1: I, I imagine that one day, I mean, please, God, I do allow grace to work in my life enough that I don't need purgatory, but I imagine if I show up one day, um, Christ will be rolling up his sleeve saying, this may take some time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and- And yet it is still an operation of justice and mercy which bleeds. The end result is me in heaven.
0: Yes, that's right. Well, when if I'm in the queue after you, he'll snap his uh, uh, th- thumbs behind his overalls and, s- <laughs> and say, time to get to work, boys. <laughs> Are you suggesting that we might be
1: each other's purgatory?
0: No, I'm suggesting that our Lord wore overalls in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> yes. Uh,
1: I console myself, if I can get a little bit trivial now, I console myself with all the meetings that I have to deal with, um, yes. that I'm e- each one of them is a lot of um, purgation, a lot of purification of me. I have
0: said many times before, uh, heaven is a cancelled meeting. Uh, You you think you're going to purgatory, but God says, just come straight through. You think, (laughs) oh, thank
1: God there's no meeting to be had. Indeed, indeed. Yes. Anyway, uh, any unpleasant experience we have, um, Christians have often used this phrase to offer it up. Now, in many cases, what we're doing there is we're we're joining our sufferings, small as they are, to the sufferings of Christ, yes. and we're we're asking that suffering to purify us or perhaps to as a benefit to others uh, when we offer it up. Um so I've just come out of some particularly horrific dental appointments, and uh, I was attempting through that to ask God to use that suffering to to purify me, to focus me on those things where I need uh, changing, and also for the benefit of others who are also suffering.
0: Right. There there are a whole host of things that speak loudly to God. So our our prayers certainly do, because Christ prays in and through us. But also, you'll remember from the Old Testament, there's times when mere blood cries out to heaven. Uh, So too suffering, right? So God who sees all things can see the intentions of our hearts before we've even formulated them in words. So offering things up, offering a point of suffering up, makes even, uh, dare I say, physical experience uh, and perhaps mental experience, however traumatic, of value to him.
1: In fact, suffering speaks louder than fancy words in in every case. Um, The Psalms make this very clear. So if you're listening to this and you suffer and and you find it hard to put words to your suffering or you, you find it hard to put words because you don't believe God is listening to your suffering, that you think perhaps that God has done this to you. The Psalms take, um, they put in words what many of our hearts are saying, that God listens to this suffering, that he in fact is with you in the suffering. He's the most strong voice he heard, hears, as Father Paul said, is the voice of pain, of suffering. And if you are oppressed or if you're suffering, speak. And maybe your speech, as Paul says in Galatians, will be through groanings which cannot be put into words, but speak. And God's ears are open to you. God listens to your suffering and can, can in fact, um, bring about uh, some good, but mostly to listen to your suffering and join it to his own suffering and therefore make it salv- salvific, um, transformative in that sense. Mm, beautifully said. That's probably a place to wrap it up for this week's podcast. Uh, If today's discussion got you thinking or you have more questions, let us know on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Discord. We do love all the feedback we get, even those people who occasionally just uh, haven't listened to the podcast and have a go. It gives us an idea for our next podcast. So if you've got some questions, we're going to continue to look at different Catholic doctrines. We'd love to hear your your ideas for the, the podcast. Keep them coming. Write us a review on iTunes. Remember, this is a uniquely Australian Catholic podcast and we think that's worth getting behind. We'll be back next week, but that's all for now. Thank you for listening to This Catholic Life.